The Doctor is In is a co-production of Bobby Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. And doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. You know what a paradox is? No, that's not two psychiatrists. A paradox is something that seems to be a contradiction. A paradox would be that living a long life appeals to most everybody, but the idea of of getting old doesn't appeal to anybody. So I don't know how you can have one without the other. I want to live long, but I don't want to get old. Okay, gotcha. Speaking of old, thank you for joining me. I'm getting there. One nice thing, though, when I go to the weight room, well, yeah, when I was young, I was uh, pretty strong for my age, but there was a lot of guys that were strong for their age. Now, as I'm creeping on up into the bigger numbers, Less and less of my age is in that weight room, so I have less competition. Good to have you with me. This is The Doctor Is In. This is E-Person Monday, not email. Absolutely not. Not email. Don't even say E-Female. You can't do that either because it got mail in it. Probably should say e-people if I wanted to be totally, totally inoffensive to any human being anywhere on the earth who would decide that I might say something that they don't like. How did we get to that point? I'm going to address that in a moment. I went and saw the movie Nefarious. I have heard exorcists, experienced exorcists, say this is as close to reality as you can get. It's not sensationalized. The devil is an extremely intelligent, wily individual spirit who wants nothing more than to take down human beings. In one exchange of nefarious... The psychiatrist was telling the man who was possessed, and at the time he was talking with the demon. He said, uh, "We we have really we have really made a lot of improvements. We're, our world is our world is getting better. We don't tolerate hate speech." And at that point, the demon laughed this very hideous kind of laugh, and he said something to the effect. That's a really good one. You know, we didn't even come up with that one. And you had to think, okay, what's he mean? What's he mean? Hate speech. We didn't even come up with that one. You guys outdid us. It's very simple. Let's say that I decide 
that I do not want anyone to speak of a moral standard. You're not permitted. Now, there's a couple ways I can do this. One, I can attempt to shut you down, which much of our culture is now doing. You say anything people don't like, they'll find a way to try to shut you down. But even more demonic is, according to this demon anyway, the idea that if I'm going to speak of a standard, a moral standard, one that in our culture was pretty much agreed upon up until 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's hate speech. If I say that I personally believe on the basis of my belief in God and his divine instruction that certain conduct is wrong. It goes against the way God designed things. Somebody's not going to say to me, well, that's your opinion. I think it's a ridiculous opinion, but you're entitled to your opinion. No, 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 no. That is hate speech. The traditional moral perspective, particularly in areas of sexuality, when verbalized, is now defined across our culture, at least by the opinion shapers, as hate speech. Can you, this is, I think, the demon meant. Could you come up with a better way to essentially crush any kind of expression of morality? You think what you want, but don't say it out loud. And many of you listening right now, you've been accused of being judgmental by your family members or your adult children. Even though you haven't said anything. And that's because they know how you think. So therefore, it is hate think, if you want to label it. You're not allowed to have your own belief system, your own moral system. It is not permitted. Furthermore, we must make you be evil for thinking that way. That's why I think the demon in Nefarious said that was a good one. We didn't even come up with that one. You bury down to it. What better way to basically crush any kind of expression of morality than to call it some type of hatred? Some type of bigotry. I can't have a standard. I can't say that sex outside of marriage is not a good thing. I can't say that. That somehow, some way, that's hateful of anybody who would do that. They did it. They did it really well. And the irony is... How fast people bought into it. I was talking to somebody 
in a local organization here. We were talking about this. And she said she didn't want to follow a certain way of speaking. She didn't want to do that. In the meeting of the staff of the organization, not only was she all alone, but she was told, you can't do that. You're wrong for doing that. Wait a minute, I didn't I didn't know that things could be wrong anymore. I guess you can still be wrong if you go against the reigning new immorality. When we come back, I have an e person here that is it's kind of relates to me personally, although a, a little a little bit of a twist on this. Oh, by the way, well, I, I'll save it for a future monologue. This is Dr. Ray. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. You remember the time I said on the air, go to confession. And when you're done, go out and have a big ice cream soda. Celebrate. And a man wrote to me, he said, you know, I hadn't gone to confession in 30 years. Do you mind if I went and had a pizza? <laughs> I said, oh, have 20 pizzas. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Could a strong heart be connected to strong thigh muscles? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. According to a study out of the European Society of Cardiology in Prague, some of my people, the answer is yes. June is the month of the Sacred Heart, so let's focus on the heart for just 60 seconds. According to this study, those having strong quadricep muscles, you know, the front thigh muscles, are less likely to develop heart failure after a heart attack. Observed high strength in thigh muscles indicated a 41% reduced risk of heart failure. How do we strengthen our quads? Well, like any muscles, we lift weights. We can do body weight squats or lunges or use a leg press at a gym. That's the machine with a large plate connected to weights that you press with your feet. Add some quad exercises to your workout routine. Your heart may thank you. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on this study at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. The most important thing for me to remember is that I'm probably going to forget. One of the dumber things I say to myself, oh, I don't have to write it down, I'll remember it. This happens with manologues all the time. I'll be somewhere and I'll say to my wife, honey, I think I got a manologue, I'll say it. And I'll say, remind me now. Well, an hour later, it's gone for me. And I'll say, baby, do you remember? And it's gone for her, too. So I got I to tell one of my kids. This is The Doctor is In. This is E-Person Monday. little backdrop here. My son, Andrew, is my oldest son. He went to uh, 
local college, Akron University. He was his freshman year. Andrew played softball with me, and he was he was pretty fast, and he had a nice swing, strong arm. And I noticed that in one particular game, he misjudged three fly balls. Now, Andrew really typically didn't misjudge a fly ball. And I noticed also that he hit three kind of weak ground balls. Didn't even get out of the infield. So he went over and he, he pulled himself out of the game and he, he laid down on the bleachers, his head in his mother's lap. He said, I just, I just don't feel right. I just don't feel right. We were at a fast food place, my brother and I and Andrew. My brother said, uh, look at Andrew. He looks, he looks sunken. His shoulders are kind of collapsing inward. He just, he just looks really kind of frail. And I said, Andrew, uh, you, you've been eating at school? And uh, as it turns out, we thought that initially that he had just been kind of skipping a lot of meals because he was kind of in a rigorous college course. And one morning I looked at him and I said, son, you, you, you just look like you've lost a ton of weight. Get on the scale. Andrew was about 5'7", not a tall kid, about 5'7". His uh, standard rate was probably 150, 45, 50. Scale registered 106. Went to the doctor immediately. His sugar was 751. They said, how are you even walking? Diagnosed as type 1 diabetic. Don't know why. Don't know how it happened. Dominant theories right now is autoimmune. His immune system attacked his pancreas, Isle of Langerhans cells, producers of insulin. So I got this from a dad. My five-year-old daughter is a very joyful and sweet child. She's one of those rare unicorn easy children. <laughs> okay. One month ago, we spent five days in Akron Children's Hospital, which is right here near me. It's 20 miles north. I've taken my own children there multiple times or broken bones. After she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in their ER. Tradition, tra transitioning back to a normal life has been relatively smooth. Obviously, there are ups and downs and challenges dealing with the diabetes, especially with a five-year-old, because you can't probably have her manage a pump yet however several times she has thrown tantrums large tantrums seemingly unrelated to her diabetes or blood sugar level see yeah that would have been my first question can you did you get a read on the blood sugar level at the time of the tantrum was she too low was she too high what was going on Today, she went crazy. Her mother told her something which led to my daughter hitting, screaming, and threatening to do mean things to her mother. She has never acted out so strongly before. What should we do to address this? We do not want to severely punish her for her if there are valid underlying issues causing this. 
then Dr. Ray, what can be done to minimize further episodes? Okay, the first thing you got to do, there's two levels of explanation here. One, are there some kind of as yet unidentified physiological changes? I mean, get, get her back to the pediatric endocrinologist and do everything you can to explore this. Uh, if the pediatric endocrinologist says this, this is not common, we don't see it, we don't see these kinds of, of, of out-of-control outbursts in kids having been diagnosed diabetic type 1, uh, get some information. That's the first thing you got to do. You got to, got to, as as best you can, rule it out. And even then, you can't be sure you ruled it out because because the body's a mystery. The body's truly a mystery. But you do what you can. The fact that you said she was an incredibly easy child and now she's just having these tirades. The other explanation could be that she just is frustrated, upset, distressed. At having to get poked, sticked two, three, no, more than two, three, five, six times a day for blood levels. Having to stop what she's doing, having to feel the little pinch, and then you administering a shot. Again, little kids don't like shots. So if, if you can't identify physiologically something that could explain this, and my, my sense is... You may not be able to. Then you could just be dealing with the fact that as she sees it, her life was turned upside down. She now has to pay attention to what she eats. She now has to pay attention to when it's time to get her insulin shot. She now has to pay attention to if she feels sluggish, as she gets a low, all of those things. And is she a brittle diabetic? Who knows? Brittle meaning blood sugar is hard to control. If that's the case, then her frustration could be manifesting itself in these outbursts. You said, we don't want to punish her if there are valid underlying issues for this. Well, it depends on what you mean by valid. If there's something physiologically going on that obviously she can't control, then hopefully you can run that down. But if you can't, if nothing is identified then you're kind of sort of in a position to make an assumption, which is, okay, is this her byproduct frustration of what she's learning to deal with and she can't do these things? She's not permitted to smack her mother. She's not permitted to threaten her mother. She's not permitted to do these things. At that point, then you'll have to decide what you want to do about it for consequences. You know, and and in some respects, you may see if indeed this is frustration. Because if the consequences start to taper the outbursts, then she still does have control over them, even though she's frustrated. So you say, we don't want to punish her. If there's underlying issues, well, if the underlying issue is just frustration, you can't say, well, because you're frustrated, therefore you're allowed to act this way. I mean, we wouldn't do that with anything else. You wouldn't uh, you wouldn't allow a child. Some some of the most difficult kids I've seen 
have had some type of developmental issue or hearing problem. And because the parents felt so bad about the developmental issue, they allowed a tremendous amount of leeway in the child's exploding in frustration. Because they said, well, you know, gee, you got to understand this is really frustrating for her. She's, her hearing is not, is not up to snuff. Her hearing is impaired or she is uh, developmentally delayed and therefore she gets more frustrated when she has to try to relate to kids her age. True. True. But I've dealt with enough of those kids to, to see what happens in the long run. Their main adjustment problem is no longer their developmental handicap. It's their behavior. So let's go on a little bit of exploring here, Dad. Let's find out, see if you can, see if you can get more, more information. Um, and if, in fact, nothing's uncovered, then you, you might have to make a judgment and say, let's see what happens. If we tell her this can't go, it's not going to happen. Now, if you were walking, if you were in my office, here's what I'd ask you. I'd say, when she has done this, what have you done? And if they say, well, we weren't sure what to do. We weren't sure the underlying cause. We didn't know. We didn't want to discipline her for something she couldn't control, something physiologically out of whack. So we didn't do anything. We just tried to calm her down, just tried to settle her down. If this has happened multiple times, now you're dealing with a reiterating problem, which is she's learned to express her frustration over her diabetes in this way. So you'll decide, and I'm being very cautious here, I'm being very careful because you can't, I can't diagnose anything from here. But you'll have to decide once you get the clear go-ahead to see what happens when you respond with, with more firm discipline regarding this kind of outburst. Now, if someone says, but Dr. Ray, she's five years old. Dr. Ray, she's understandably frustrated. Can you imagine a little kid having to stick her finger five times a day as well as getting shots around her waist? Can you imagine that? I said, no, I can't. I can't. But here's the problem. If you say, therefore, it's okay for you to explode. It's okay for you to hit your mother. It's okay for you to threaten violence against your mother. You're not helping the girl. You're not helping her at all. What you're allowing is freedom, unbridled expression of frustration. That doesn't help anyone. How's my son doing now? He went on the pump probably about a year after he was diagnosed. And you know, the irony is, of all of my children, my son was the most squeamish regarding needles. When we were in the hospital, the nurse had to hold his hand because he simply could not guide the needle toward his stomach. But he's adjusted very, very well to it, and thank God his, his A1C is usually within pretty good limits. Pretty good limits. And I'm always asking him, Andrew, 
He's a he's an engineer. I say, Andrew, what uh, what's on the horizon here? I mean, they're going to be able to use the body's stem cells to regenerate the cells in the pancreas. What what will they have here? Now they they do have constant monitoring, but he. He's a little reluctant to trust that as yet. I guess he knows too much engineering-wise. All righty. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dr. Ray. This is E-Person Monday. Be back. Sixty seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. Take a look at our website, EWTN.com, and the old programs. I've so far gone through the uh, encyclicals on Jesus, which is Redemptor Hominis, on God the Father, Divas and Misericordia, and on the Holy Spirit, Dominum et Vivificantem. Also, the one on the Gospel of Life, Evangelium Vitae, and the one on Redemptoris Mater, Mother of the Redeemer. So I've gone through five of those, and you can get those off of our website. Uh, Again, the website is www.ewtn.com. And then when you go to libraries, what you can do is go to the audio library, and the audio library will have uh, the uh, old programs. They're all there, and you can just access them that way. May God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. What qualities are embodied in truth and goodness? The Catholic Catechism asserts that the practice of goodness is accompanied by the joy and splendor of spiritual beauty. Truth, says the Catechism, is beautiful in and of itself. Because man is endowed with an intellect, truth in the rational expression of the created and the uncreated reality is necessary. But when truth is beyond words, the depths of the human heart, the exaltation of the soul, the mystery of God, other forms of complementary human expression are needed. Before God revealed himself in words, he revealed himself in the universal language of creation, the order and harmony of the cosmos, which both child and scientist can discern. This is Peggy Stanton. And this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Good to have you with me, Dr. Ray Garendi here. Program The Doctor is in. This is E-Person Monday. Our young adult son has gotten into legal trouble and is serving a prison sentence. During this time, he assures us he is making amends and working to better his behavior in life. We lost trust in him long ago. Let me stop there. Let me stop there. Probably, and I have to read between the lines here, there was a lot of turbulence in the relationship, a lot of 
oppositional behavior, a lot of unruly behavior, maybe drugs, alcohol, who knows what this young man was doing. The majority of antisocial behavior in our country is young males. We lost trust in him long ago. Well, okay. Does that mean you will have no trust in him from here on out? And what if you did? Well, how would that trust manifest itself? In the sense that he's in jail, and you visit him, I'm going to assume, and you hear how he's trying to pull his life together, what he wants to do, and maybe he's pretty shook up having spent time in what sounds like prison. Short term, sounds short term. You raised him, I'm going to assume, with morals and values. So his life's taken quite a detour from the way he was raised. At the same time, he still has reverberating in his mind and heart the way he was raised. So it could be that he realizes I can't believe what I've done to my life. I've got to straighten out. This is not the way I wanted things to end up. Now, if you're saying, well, I, I don't want to get burned again. Well, you're not going to get burned. How could you get burned again? The only way you could get burned is if you lend him a boatload of money and he misuses it. Or you say he can come and live at home after he's released and then he misuses that. But short of that, you you don't, risk anything by visiting him and listening to his resolve and hoping it's legit. I visit guys in prison and I hear what they say and I hear how they talk about learning their lesson and how they've changed. I listen. I listen. I don't dispute them. I don't argue with them. I hope. I'm hopeful. I am hopeful that what I'm hearing is going to manifest itself. How do we begin to trust him? Well, there's not much to that. When you say, how do we begin to trust him, are you saying you're going to, you're going to put yourself at risk for him to misuse you like he did when he was 18? You're not. You're, you're, you're just going to have a relationship with him. When my daughter was in group homes, she, she sabotaged those group homes terribly. Terribly. We still had a relationship with her. Even though we knew that this newest group home, she was probably going to try to find a way to get her freedom. Now, we minimized any of her ability to misuse us. We didn't give her money. We didn't pick her up and drive her somewhere across town. We didn't do any of that. We visited her. Went out to breakfast. All right. How, how was that risking our trust? Mom says, at the same time, I, I don't want to jeopardize any possible relationship. Well, Mom, it's not a balancing act. It's, it's not anything you say, oh, boy, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope here because we've been burned so many times by this kid. I don't want to put myself in a position to be burned again. You're not, you're not being burned again. First of all, he's in prison. So for the near future, about all you can do is visit and, and send emails. JPay. 
can do that. When he gets out, you have to decide your level of involvement in his life. You don't have to in any way enable anything he might want. He might say, come on, Mom, I, I need this, 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 and this. Can you give it to me? I need to, I need to come home for six months, and, and you're worried about hiding your credit cards, all that. Uh, again, those are decisions you have to make. But, but to keep the relationship up is not a risk. So, speaking as one who has people that I know serving time, um, I listen patiently to them telling me how they're going to improve. I'm prayerful and hopeful um, and recognizing that for some, and, and I, my personal experience is, this is more likely when someone has been raised well and deviated from it as opposed to someone who was never raised well and didn't have a moral value system in place to leave. They got nothing to come back to. But if your son was raised in a stable, faith-filled home, well, then he has that moral system in play. It's there. He just rejected it. Or he drifted from it. But he's got it to come back to. And he can compare. He can say, what my parents raised me with works. What I'm doing doesn't work. I'm sitting here confined. I'm sitting here having, having lost so much freedom. Maybe he lost a girlfriend, too. Maybe she says, that's it. I've had enough of that. Maybe he's thinking to himself, okay, what kind of kind of employment am I going to get after I get out? So, so, indeed, he's got a lot to think about. Maybe what you could do is when you visit him, you could say, tell me what you're learning. What, what is different now for you? The way you're thinking about your life as opposed to the way you thought about your life three years ago. Why did you see that as smart then, but you see it as incredibly foolish now? What is different? I'm curious. I just want to know. You could do that, Mom. There's no risk there. If you're lied to, well, how will you be lied to? He'll he'll tell you he's resolved to change when in fact he's not. He's he's selling you a bill of goods. Well, you'll find that out soon enough. If he's released and he goes back to his old ways, you'll find that out soon enough. You you weren't duped. You just heard him say things and you didn't know if he meant it or not. Okay? Still be his mom.
The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. Most people would be surprised to know that diagnostic testing standards for brain death diagnosis are not mandated in the U.S., and they vary greatly by state and hospital. Even among the leading neurological hospitals in the U.S., there are major differences. Studies show that up to 40% of people are misdiagnosed as brain dead, who are in fact conscious to some level with the potential to recover. In the 1960s, it became apparent that there were too few organs available for transplant recipients, and the brain death diagnosis was created. Now the number of those diagnosed brain dead has increased every year. Between 2012 and 2016, the brain death diagnosis increased by nearly 25% in the U.S. and now accounts for one in every 50 hospital deaths. A brain death diagnosis also means that all treatment stops because the person has been declared dead. This allows clinicians to remove life support, food and water, and harvest the person's vital organs. This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. On this show and on this network and uh, in many of our other outlets that we have through Ave Maria Radio and EWTM, we're always going to keep you up to date on what's happening in terms of the culture and how toxic the culture is. Certainly, we talk about that uh, every week. So you can navigate the media landscape, so you can learn about the challenges and be well aware of them. That's one thing. We talk about religious liberty issues. We talk about the attacks, of course, on on the pro-life causes. We need to be aware of all that, which is why we talk about it. So we give you the tools, we give you the information, the research that we come up with as writers, as producers, as presenters, as talk show hosts, on and on and on. But at the end of the day, what do we need to do when we know this? We should be speaking out even more loudly and on a regular basis. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for joining me. Dr. Ray Grandy here. Program is The Doctor is In. Able to cure parentis maximus wimpus, spinous malleus minimus, secondhand airwave healing. This is E-Person Monday. Let's see what we got here on the phone. Oh, yeah. This is a... Uh, a good news email. It's fascinating. It's, well, the fact that it got the publicity that it did is good news and bad news. Very nice that this young man got recognized for his heroic action. It's very sad because it's a com- it's a commentary. One of the things that people talk about in terms of the devices. Children have their devices and they're getting them at very young ages. And even if they would not misuse the device, which is a huge if, the vast, the vast majority do, they're not present. They're not present to the people right there. They're not present on the scene. They are in another world. Hello, Dr. Ray. You may have heard of a recent story in the news of a boy from Carter Middle School in Warren, Michigan, 
who came to the rescue of his school bus driver. As well as the other Carter students on the bus. When the driver had a medical emergency. Perhaps he was having a heart attack. Obviously something made it so that this driver could no longer drive that bus and there was a major threat of a mishap. Seventh grader, a boy named Dylan Reeves, noticed what was going on. He jumped up immediately to stop the bus, then yelled to other students to call 911. Dr. A., Guess why he jumped up? He doesn't have a cell phone. Unlike most of the other kids on the bus who were entranced in their devices and didn't realize what was going on until the bus came to a sudden stop. The story was aired nationally, internationally, on CBS Sunday morning with Jane Pauley on Mother's Day. The story was presented by Steve Hartman. Well, I don't know who that is, but who had the angle, here's the angle that this person used, of the young man not having a cell phone. So he was aware of his surroundings. I thought you might like to check this story out. Our Warren Weekly paper ran an article just recently. I would wonder why this young man, 7th grader, so what, 12, probably 13. I don't know the stats on 13-year-olds with smartphones, I believe it's well over 90%. It's got to be. It's got to be well over 90%. So I'd really want to know, especially on a public school bus, why he didn't have a smartphone. And furthermore, what would be his reaction to being perhaps the only one on that bus without a smartphone. The (laughs) spy world has a term that they use called situational awareness. That means you are attuned to what is going on around you. If you're walking somewhere, (coughs) excuse me, you're scanning, you're scanning your environment. You're hearing sounds, you're listening. Criminals will tell you that when women especially jog with headphones on, it makes it very easy for them to accost the ladies because they have no idea of what's going on around them. Who's near them, who's watching, who's coming up behind. They don't know. They don't know. So this young man had situational awareness like a good spy he saw what was happening and it's fascinating at least according to the account here 
it appears that nobody else did. Or if they did, this raises another question. Why didn't they do anything about it? Why did they not respond? Would that have anything to do with being shaped by the virtual world that they obviously have lived in for a while? And therefore, when your own circumstances prompt you to act, you're not ready to act. You're not used to, on a moment's notice, making a move. There's, there's something, I believe, that deadens the moment-to-moment awareness of what's going on around you, even if, even if you're not on your phone at the time. Because you've spent so much time being on a device that what you've done is you've reduced your learning about your surroundings, your environment, your occasions, whatever, because of that device. That young man was a hero. But I would dare to say 20 years ago, probably nobody on that middle school bus had a device. It'd be interesting to see the reactions. On the downside, I would imagine there'd be panic. Some of the kids would panic because they'd be right away quick aware of what's going on. So on the upside, maybe he wouldn't have been the only one to take action. Hmm. Fascinating. I'm Dr. Ray. On a scale of 1 to 10, how is your pain? Ciao, amici. Hello, friends. Teresa Tamio here. Ever notice that common sense isn't so common anymore? Each time we check our news feeds or turn on the TV, it seems the world is getting wackier. While we desperately need a return to basic common sense. And Rosie Posey, my mom, a street smart theologian from Jersey City, is just the person we need to help us restore it. So if you need a little bit more help with some common sense or know someone else who needs it, pick out my new book on our store, Everything's Coming Up Rosie, at AveMariaRadio.net's online store. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. Live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Knowledge by acquaintance is what St. Paul's talking here. We need to increase our acquaintance of God. What can we do to increase our knowledge of God? Well, study scripture, pray fast. But here's the obvious question. Are you increasing in the knowledge of God? Or are you simply kind of staying stable? You're living off past encounters. When we speak of increasing our knowledge of God, as I said, you can read all the books you want about God and you'll have lots of information, but it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily become acquainted with him. We need to know God by acquaintance. And that's what lies at the heart of all true religion. Cresta in the Afternoon weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Our generation is the first in human history to widely reject that life has any overarching purpose. Morality is considered relative, and we're even uncertain about what it means to be a man or a woman. Catholics at this time need to be awake, not woke. Sit down with Renewal Ministries' Peter Herbeck and I for an extended conversation with Noel Maring 
author of Awake, Not Woke. It's available on the Renewal Ministries YouTube page or in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. See what we got here for one final, one final, final, final here. I'm looking, going back through the e-persons on the phone. Dr. Ray, could you address adoption reunion stories? I enjoyed the movie Life Mark, and I appreciate Kurt Cameron for producing the movies but not all reunions are that simple i didn't see the movie but i think she's also saying they're not all that simple and they're not all that um what's the word i'm looking for immediately rewarding probably many adoptions in the 60s 70s and 80s were closed completely but they are now open or semi-open. That's right. There's been a radical change among adoption people regarding adoptions. At uh, one time, the view was, this is your family. This is mom and dad. This is your life forward. And the degree that we can give you a family picture, structure, support, love, that's good. Well, over the last 20 or so years, that's changed radically. The view now is the more open, the better. I'm a shrink. So therefore, I see long-term some of the complications. For example, I have seen where the child was placed for adoption or removed from the birth parent for reasons of neglect, stress, abuse. And the young mother uh, really struggled in life. Really, really struggled. Turbulent, chaotic, very, very bad string of choices in their lives. So if and when the young adult wishes to reunion, find, connect with birth parent, uh, sometimes the birth parent still hasn't gotten their life together. And there's still chaos. And there's still struggles. And there are all manner of psychological, emotional issues. It's not to criticize. It's just reality. I'm a psychologist. That's what I see. I talked to a family law attorney recently, and I asked him about that, and he smiled. He smiled, and he said, oh, boy. Uh, in his opinion, his experience, a minority of these reunions worked out for the benefit of the adoptee or the birth parent. In some states, Dr. Ray, you can get your original birth certificate, which I did, naively thinking I could find my birth mother. 
Another adoptee that I know called her birth mother when she turned 18. The birth mom, who already had a large family and who had wanted to keep the baby but could not, was not interested in a relationship. That's true. The assumption is that the birth parent, now after 20 years, wants to have a relationship. And even if their own life is put together, this may be something that they made a decision when to give the child a mommy and a daddy, which they couldn't do. And they were at peace with this loving decision, and and they're not being selfish for saying, I I moved on with my life and I and I gave this child the chances I couldn't give them. Dr. Ray, do you think we adoptees should pursue finding our birth parents? Uh that's an individual decision, but I will I will give you the stats on that. Last statistic I saw. And this is interesting because you alluded to this movie. And most of these movies come from the same perspective. This is something that the adopted child needs to do because they have a sense of abandonment. They have an adoption wound. They have a hole in their identity. They have questions regarding why was I given all these things. There's all kinds of psychological issues that are un- untied so, therefore, the only way to answer them is to seek a birth parent. The percentage, according to these movies and any kind of media story, I ask this question to a lot of people, and they say 90% seek birth parents when they're able. 60, 70, 80, all way, way up over 50, way up. The actual percentage is 10 I have 10 adopted children. Uh, seven, seven of them? Seven have shown no interest. Their, their view is this is mom and dad. I have two who did seek and immediately retreated from that birth parent situation because it was chaotic. I had a third who pursued and has had a uh, what kind of relationship sort of uh, up and up relationship with the birth parent uh, none at this point of my 10 children have said okay we've we've reunioned and we just find this is absolutely wonderful now I'm not saying it can't be of course but I'm simply saying one of the things oh boy I don't have time to get into this maybe I'll do it for a future man log. I think one of the things pushing open adoption is restructuring of the family. The ideal family used to be mom, dad, kids. Not anymore. The ideal family is kind of anything you make it. Uh, two parents, three parents, six grandparents. You got a birth mom. You got an adoptive mom. You got a birth dad. So then it's kind of the fluidity of the American family. Okay, I got to run. I ran out of time. I appreciate you so much for keeping me company here on The Doctor is In. Walk with God, your true father. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. 
The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.